the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to episode three of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined today by Paul Gosling. As always, Paul, how's things today? Fine, Gerard. Dealing with the COVID-19 lockdown. Thank you. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad you're dealing with it. Let's all stay positive. That's the way to get through it. Okay, so this podcast is a a series of deep dive conversations for series two, where we're looking at a a number of different issues. And forgive us for some of the recording quality that you might hear. We've had to do all this by Skype and everything's now remote, as you, you might understand. But these are still really important conversations. So, Paul, for this interview, for this episode, you interviewed John Fitzgerald, who's adjunct professor for the Department for Economics at Trinity College. Yeah, John is the the, the best known economist in the Republic of Ireland. He was previously uh, head at the Economic Social Research Institute in, in Dublin and is very well known. He's a columnist with the Irish Times and uh, is a, a very senior voice within economics in Ireland. Okay, and you're chatting him about... Um, the Irish economy, but Northern Ireland in particular, and I suppose one of the challenges that you have been talking about yourself for a long time that has was the third level education challenges about people leaving here and not coming back, but also our low skill levels here in Northern Ireland. Yeah, I was following up a report that uh, he wrote along with uh, Edgar Morganroth uh, called the Northern Ireland Economy Problems and Prospects, and really. What it comes down to is that John's analysis is that the problems with the Northern Ireland economy come down fundamentally to education and skills. And he pinpoints two elements of that. One is the lack of graduates, which comes down to the lack of graduate places in Northern Ireland. But two is the academic selection and the impact of that in terms of the high percentage of pupils that leave school without basic skills. So he sees that that we don't have enough people at the top end with the graduate skills and we have far too many people at the bottom end without even basic skills, by which we mean uh, maths, English and uh, computing ability. Yeah, and and especially in a a climate where we're moving away primarily from that uh, low-skilled manufacturing base, the the whole economy is changing. That's right. And, and of course, we are very orientated towards the, the public services, a very mm. high percentage of people who do have uh, degrees when they leave university, then go into the public services. So it could be argued that you're not really benefiting the the key economic driver, the private sector ma- uh, manufacturing and services base, uh, the, the private sector economy, which generates the, the, the taxation incomes. So, you know, by by that structure of the economy, uh, you are dealing with some serious weaknesses. Okay. Well, well, let's hear your conversation that you had with John. I'll head straight into it. What I'm f- doing is following up, in particular, the report you did with uh, Edgar on the Northern Ireland economy problems and prospects. Now, yep. for the podcast, can you explain, in your opinion, how Northern Ireland uh, does economically? If you look at Northern Ireland, the context of these islands, um, since the late 90s, the Belfast Agreement, um, it's been the worst performing region, um, uh, whereas the, it, obviously the Irish economy has grown very rapidly, um, and after that comes London and Scotland. Um, the difference uh, in terms of growth rate the, within the UK regions, Northern Ireland is at the top, bottom, um, 
and Scotland and uh, London are at the top. So very poor performance um, in spite of the fact there should have been a peace dividend after the Belfast Agreement. And there really wasn't ever any sort of peace uh, dividend, for example, in terms of the employment rate compared with the rest of the UK or with the, the Republic. What do you regard the role of higher education as being in terms of productivity, looking specifically at the universities for the moment? All right, well, there's a study done for the Northern Ireland Department of Finance by Urias Seachlag and colleagues from the ESRI, which shows that foreign direct investment, um, a major predictor in whether that locates in a region, um, not just in these islands, but across Europe, is the proportion of populations, say, aged between 30 and 34, who have third-level qualifications. So businesses that produce high wages, high productivity, need people with third-level qualifications. And it is reflected in the fact that people with third-level qualifications earn substantially more than those who have completed high school, who in turn earn substantially more than those who haven't completed high school. So uh, having a large proportion of your population with third-level qualifications means they are more productive as measured in market forces um, and earn more, and you then get higher productivity and higher growth. And, of course, somewhere between a third and a quarter of Northern Ireland's uh, undergraduates are studying elsewhere. They're not studying within Northern Ireland, and most of those do not return to Northern Ireland after completing their studying. more, a, a significant proportion of those university graduates in Northern Ireland who do stay actually then go into the public sector rather than into the private sector. Yeah, the, the public sector is much bigger in Northern Ireland than it would be 
in most other parts of the United Kingdom are in Ireland. Um, and that reflects the fact that during the crisis years between 1970 and, and 2000, um, in particular in the 70s, when employment collapsed everywhere else because of the troubles, um, it was ramped up in the public sector. And really, the public sector still dominates um, so that the private sector um, access to people with third level would be much less than elsewhere. And I think Scotland is the really contrasting area at this. And to move beyond universities, I mean, what do you, what's the difference in, between the North and the South in terms of the way vocational training comes out of the further education institutions? Well, in the Republic, one of the people don't talk about it much, but one of the success stories of the last 30, 40 years was the Institutes of Technology, mm. um, which were third-level uh, uh, institutions set up across the country, and they were very much tied into the local labour market. So that, for example, GMIT, that's in Galway, um, uh, in terms of the healthcare devices and so on, they produce technicians, pharmacists for uh, healthcare um, uh, equipment or for pharmaceuticals. So they have been producing sort of as people with, say, two-year year certificate or diploma uh, qualifications, which are necessary to work in labs and so on. So that um, it has been a spectrum across the third-level sector from universities through to ITs. And how do you think the North should develop its policy in terms of the role of further education and vocational training? Well, it, or, or, all right. Uh, I, 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 first of all, taking the, the upper end, but I think that the problem is, problem is probably even bigger at the lower end um, in terms of its good But taking the upper end, they need to expand the capacity of the third level sector um, to uh, take, uh, 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 and they're weak in the institutes of technology area, um, uh, sort of in terms of the uh, sort of training for local labour markets. And if uh, foreign firms come in the same pharmaceutical sector, we need to train for that. But they need to expand numbers and. One of the things you've written about quite extensively is the impact of academic selection. But before we go into that in detail, it's been argued that one of the problems about further education in Northern Ireland is that, to a large extent, it's picking up the failures of the post-primary system. And instead of providing in-depth vocational skills, it's actually giving people basic skills who didn't get them at school. Do you think that's a valid criticism? Um, I'm not sure on that. Um... In the selective nature of second level, makes it difficult. Um, in the, the fact that there is a spectrum in, say, in Ireland or in Scotland, um, um, uh, 
means like certainly in Ireland, the institutes of technology, there are kids who go on from the same school to the institutes of technology and go on to universities. And then some go from the institutes of technology to the universities. There's more fluidity where in Northern Ireland, once you're streamed at second level, um, your opportunities uh, of going to university um, are significantly determined by that. Are your Very few people from the uh, grammar school side would go into uh, technical training or whatever. So it, it, the, the streaming um, uh, predicts what will happen when kids leave, leave school. And of course, family incomes are predictors of how well you're going to do in terms of academic selection, or even whether you involve yourself in it. Um, yes, but it's a question of giving opportunity to people from, like, I'm very conscious of, in the Republic, the, the transformation in the last 20 years, um, where traditionally, all right, the highest participation rates of third level education would traditionally be from Galway and uh, from Mayo and Kerry. I like the really poor parts of Ireland, um, their kids, this is going back 20, 30, 40 years, um, the parents knew that kids were going to emigrate or certainly leave the Western Seaboard, and their best chances were education. So actually, parents put a big emphasis on education in spite of very low incomes. Um, it left in the Republic a contrast with urban working class um, where kids dropped out of school early, they did not compete high school, very few going out to third level. That has changed very significantly in the last 20 years. And I saw it with my own kids when they were in school that you'd have uh, sort of, uh, uh, the kids who were in the same class, my older uh, daughter, very few of them went on to third level. But by the time their younger siblings five years, seven years on, um, quite a lot of them did go on to third level. So you've seen a penetration of education into urban working class families, um, very significant at this stage. So the bulk of kids are completing high school um, and quick, and a lot of them are now going on to ter third level. So I guess it's a success in in urban working class areas in the penetration of education has been really important but here you're talking about the republic or you're talking about northern ireland I, as well I, 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 i'm talking about the republic and the real contrast is northern ireland mm. because it's very important research by professor Fanny barua of the university of ulster um, which shows that the segregation by uh, education attainment into grammar schools and and secondary schools is very damaging um, to kids, in particular from a disadvantaged background. That I think it's, it's a 40% of Protestant boys from a working class background drop out early, 30% of Catholic boys, um, and slightly lower figures for girls. But it, it is the segregation means that they go into schools where they're destined not to go on to third level and they drop out early. And it seems to be a, a, an urban working class um, uh, problem, which has been overcome in the Republic, but is really damaging in Northern Ireland. And it goes back to the selection by schools, um, that the research done in the Republic shows that um, mixed ability teaching is really important. So not only do we not segregate by, by uh, in schools into secondary and grammar, but within the schools, streaming has been reduced over the last 20, the research shows over the last 20, 30 years, because the research shows streaming 
doesn't improve the, the prospects of good, of bright kids, but seriously impacts on the prospects of kids in the lower half of the distribution of attainment. So the mixed ability teaching within schools and that you don't segregate across schools is important, whereas in Northern Ireland you, you have this secondary um, grammar school split and then um, it, 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 it sort of kids who go to secondary school know they're not destined for third level, which is demotivating. Um, and in particular, um, the bulk of uh, kids from middle class background get into grammar school, so you're segregating, um, if you like, on a class basis as well. Now, you've said that that is particularly damaging to the economy because you end up with large numbers of basically working class kids, mostly boys, in fact, from both Protestant and Catholic backgrounds, who then don't have basic skills and become almost un unemployable unless they go back to and get those uh, advanced skills at some point. Well, uh, the, the figures for unemployment are low in Northern Ireland, but the labour force participation um, is also low. Yeah, um, because the, the employment rate's low. So the unemployment rate is low, but also the employment rate is low because we've got such large levels of economic inactivity in Northern Ireland. This then becomes a significant political challenge, though, because there are all these vested interests in Northern Ireland, which actually are about retaining grammar schools and retaining the history and culture of particular schools where, you know, decision makers went to. Uh, did you have the same resistance in the South or not? Well, we were fortunate that the way things turned out, and it's more by accident that we found ourselves into mixed ability schools rather than... Um, it's, <coughs> like, there was... When we went, went, like the North was, Northern Ireland was ahead of the Republic in introducing pre second level education from 1947. Um, in Ireland, it was 1967, 20 years afterwards, <coughs> with predominantly religious run schools. Um, what they did in rural areas, they said, we've got to amalgamate them. So the boys, girls, and vocational schools were tended to be amalgamated into one in rural areas, which gave you um, a, a, an integrated uh, a, a schooling. Um, so the, it, it could have gone the, the, the northern English route, um, but it didn't. Um, so there wasn't a resistance. Um, so it, 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 you didn't have people with entrenched interests. In Northern Ireland, just only the people in the north are huge problems because you have grammar schools which are very good schools and kids who get into them are very successful so why change a system which for middle class parents mm. is working mm. so there's a huge resistance and when you say um uh, schools don't work there's huge like when i've talked to people in northern ireland they're very upset at saying the system is defective mm. um and it's going to be 
be very difficult. Also, to what extent is this an issue? Like Vanny Baru in his book estimates what he calls, I think, a 6 or 7% Catholic ethos advantage. Mm. That kids from working class uh, Protestant families are less likely to find themselves uh, complete high school, where there's a 6 or 7% advantage in Catholic schools. Now, is it because of the schools or is it because of the parents? And my own suspicion is that it's more that parents don't have expectations for their kids and therefore don't encourage them to stay on. And that that is more than an issue of Protestant schools being less successful than Catholic schools. It's the expectations of parents. Now, how you change expectations of parents, like if you think about the history of Northern Ireland, Protestant working class families in Belfast, their kids went to Harland Wolf, Short Brothers and Harland, left school early, but there was an apprenticeship, uh, if you like, as a, a, as a, 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 a welder or whatever. So they found themselves into good uh, blue collar employment. Once that's gone, the parents uh, may not have changed their expectations for their children. So there's it's not just a question of institutional change, it's a question of changing expectations in parents um, as to saying to them, actually, your kids can do it, encourage them. Because in a way, what's happened is that the, the change in manufacturing base of Northern Ireland hasn't got reflected in the cultural understanding of what's gone on, because the tradition of Northern Ireland is... Uh, the economy has been based to a significant extent around low-skilled manufacturing, which is a sector that's basically disappeared now. Yeah, so, so, so the expectations of where you will find employment um, have, have, haven't followed the reality. Mm. And I think that that, that uh, so that, like, it, it, there isn't a simple solution to this. Oh, we're going to produce uh, integrated mixability teaching as in Ireland or Scotland. Um, there'd be huge resistance to that, and that is part of it. But you need parents to say, actually, I want my kids to continue on in school and uh, if, if sort of try and try for university or third level education. So uh, there, there, there's a wider cultural issue as well as an institutional issue. And it strikes me there's another challenge underpinning this, which is the fact that 11 is just too young to determine whether someone should go down an academic or vocational route, and the vocational training at the non-selective schools isn't great. And in any case, who is to determine that if you went to a grammar, that is an academic route ahead of you rather than a vocational route? The system doesn't really work for either the, the benefit of the pupils or the benefit of the economy. Yeah, well, it, it's an issue, like, it goes back to the uh, 944 Education Act in, 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 in England and Wales, um, and this two-level system was established. But going back to the 1960s, the, the, this uh, streaming of kids at the age of 11, 11 plus, that England began to modify the system, the Labour Party sort of being moved to comprehensive education and so on, and it's still an issue of debate, mm. but it's a much less rigid system in England because the rigid system doesn't make sense. It is damaging. So England has evolved, not in a rather ad hoc way, whereas in Northern Ireland it's remained fixed and has not evolved to deal with what the research shows or the outcomes. And like the outcomes... like very much the, the trajectory of the educational system has been very much driven by research on what works in, a, in the Republic. And this issue of streaming, going back to the 1980s, 
um, the research done by the Economic and Social Research Institute showed that streaming was bad for kids um, um, from the bottom half of the distribution. Um, they, they were locked in, and those who couldn't, uh, there was no chance of escaping, whereas it didn't make much difference to kids from with, a, with the top half of the distribution. So both in terms of having um, comprehensive schools um, and within the schools, the research, recent research shows that even in the last 20 years, there's been a reduction in streaming within schools. So you want kids, to, if, they, if they do well, to move up through the system rather than be locked in at the age of 11 because 11 is too early. Now, obviously, you're saying that education is at the heart of what should be a dynamic edu economic policy. I and mean, what other economic drivers do you see as turning around the Northern Ireland economy in terms of productivity and growth? Well, the evidence is that Northern Ireland has an exceptionally low level of investment in physical capital um, compared to the Republic, compared to the United Kingdom as a whole, compared to Scotland. Um, so the transfers from London have been used to provide, uh, to support income uh, through employment, through welfare, through sort of good public services, rather than holding back some of that and investing in infrastructure in terms of roads, um, in terms of uh, infrastructure which would support a, a productive and active business. Um, like there has been significant investment in social housing, uh, 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 but that doesn't produce, that doesn't make the economy necessarily more productive. Um, so I think there's need to reallocate resources to the infrastructure. Like in the 1960s, looking from the Republic and Northern Ireland, it had better infrastructure than the Republic, um, but it stopped around 1970 once the crisis hit. Um, and across Europe, the issue of investing in infrastructure um, and in Belfast, it's sort of the future of growth happens in cities. Belfast has decentralised, and uh, partly because of the troubles, it has not grown. Um, it has been much more dispersed population growth. Um, and uh, whereas in the Republic and in Britain, the problem is that it may be over-concentration in London, over-concentration in Dublin, but cities across Europe are, are successful. And the failure to develop Belfast, if you just look at a, a denser city with good public transport, that isn't an issue. Belfast has spent money on roads um, and, uh, and a dispersed population. So I think that there's a need for a change in approach um, investing in infrastructure. And if you say go to a conference in Germany, they're concerned that they haven't invested adequately in infrastructure. Uh, in Britain, it is now they're waking up to it, and the recent budget um, uh, shows a waking up to the fact that UK needs to invest in infrastructure. Northern Ireland certainly does need to. And, of course, one of the things we've heard in the last period of time is that Belfast has the highest road congestion levels of any city in the UK outside of London, uh, and in a sense there's a parallel with Dublin. But uh, Belfast has 30% of Northern Ireland's employment base, but 18% of the population. So although the, the, the population doesn't live in Belfast, it is still very much the economic centre of, of the Northern Ireland. Yeah, and it's an issue which we face in the Republic yes. um, uh, as well, that Irish people, north and south, like to live in rural areas and work in urban areas. Mm. That is totally unsustainable. Mm. And actually, the dynamic of a dense city that works. Um, if you look across 
Europe, that's, and also not beyond Europe. Um, that is important. So building Belfast and Derry, and like Derry is underdeveloped, like it, it comes after Dublin, Cork, Belfast, um, but it, it should, it's, sort of, it, it, it's failure to thrive in the last 50 years is quite striking. So building on Belfast and Derry as strengths um, and, uh, a, a, a cent, a, a, and sort of a denser development with public transport, with good services, good culture. Like the culture development, like the changes in, in Belfast, don't underestimate the benefits of the cultural investment and culture and so on. That is there. But it's building on that, that there's good infrastructure, like uh, 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 make it work by building on, on a, a, a denser development um, and model it on uh, cities across Europe. Um, and we need to learn on that in the Republic, and we are learning. Um, uh, now, it's implementing that is difficult, but um, that, is, that is the future. John Fitzgerald, thank you very much indeed. That's brilliant. Thank you. Thanks to John for taking the time to have that conversation with you. Paul, really interesting. There's not a lot of new things that I say in there, but a lot of this comes down to, as we talked about just before the interview, about educational reform, about transfer tests and things like that, but also infrastructure. We need to prioritise infrastructure. That's right. Um, when you're talking about productivity weakness, you're talking about how long does it take you to do something. And partly that is about the quality of research feeding into understanding knowledge and uh, building better things and providing better services, but it also means getting from one place to another quicker. Mm. Uh, and it's not just about roads and rail, though they're clearly important. It's also for the fact that uh, you've got developments on hold in Belfast and Derry because we don't have the sufficient investment in the water infrastructure to support new housing developments and new business parks. So, uh, you know, it, it, the, the lack of infrastructure creates problems beyond the obvious. Mm. Yeah. And John also mentioned that this city, Derry, failed to thrive over the last 50 years and that that's been striking. That's right. I mean, I think one of the advantages of, of hearing someone like John Fitzgerald, who's in Dublin and whose uh, skill base and qualifications are around economics, is that you perhaps have your prejudices confirmed, but you have the insight from someone from a very different background. Mm. So again, it's the same with the uh, selection at age 11. I mean, People have argued for a long time on a social basis against that, but John Fitzgerald argues against that on an economic basis. People have said for many years the need to have a university in Derry of a full size, and John argues that from an economic basis. Um, and these things do connect, and I think it's really useful to hear someone from a different background who's saying lots of the things that we hear on a daily basis. Yeah. That is, that is really useful to hear and we hope it continues or can help to influence decision making as we move forward to help improve Northern Ireland in general but this city in particular. Well that's the purpose of these um, podcasts really yeah. is to, to influence the debate and to influence policy making. Yeah that's it that's it. So thanks Paul to yourself and to John uh, for the interviews that's it for episode three of our podcast so look out for future episodes of this podcast thanks for listening and we look forward to talking to you again soon the 
Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.